antiquarian adventures in better reality 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 Folklore, surrealism, and the mysteries of the lizard. Episode 2. In our last broadcast, we spoke of a cycle of mysteries emanating from the Lizard Peninsula in Cornwall, the southernmost tip of Britain. Now let us rejoin the trail. Another trickster steeped in magic and surrealism was in town about the same time as Peter Redgrove, and this was Tony Shields, or Doc Shields, as he was often known. Now, Doc Shields started life with the surrealists in Paris, but in the 1960s moved to St Ives, and later, now in the 1970s, he became something of a monster hunter. He began to investigate sightings of the mysterious owl man of Morden Woods and Cornwall's own Loch Ness monster, Morgoire. He later joined forces with a group of Cornish witches in an attempt to summon both these beasties. Now, the waters on the east side of the Lizard, from the Manacles to, to the Roseland, where most of the sightings of the Morgua occurred, was dubbed Morgua's Mile. Shields, like Redgrove, would have been well aware of the consciousness-changing potential of mythical images. Once again, the question arises, was this some kind of surreal installation? If it was then it has become a kind of magical conjuration. For both creatures, the Morgwar and the Owlman, have emerged to be sighted on a number of occasions since. I myself be one of these witnesses, but that's another story. Sometimes an almost palpable sense of magic descends over the lizard. Eiffel Cahoon was another surrealist steeped in magical lore, and she lived in Lamorna, uh, across Mounts Bay. And possibly even as she looked across Mounts Bay to the lizard, she spoke of the fact that the structure of the rocks beneath our feet give rise to the psychic life of the land in a very real sense. The lizard has a most peculiar geology, quite unlike anywhere else in Britain. The serpentine, hornblende, soapstones are all typical of the lower parts of the Earth's crust and how they manage to be turned on their side and brought to the surface is something of a mystery. But with them, they brought a sense of otherness which permeates the landscape. Interestingly, one of the, the few other parts of the country where you see this kind of strange geology occurring is in Callanish on the Isle of Lewis, the the great megalithic structure in the far north of the Outer Hebrides. And it's almost like these two places, Callanish and the Lizard, top and tail, the whole of Britain as kind of two psychic battery terminals. Eiffel Cahoon recalls in her book, The Living Stones of Cornwall, of visiting a John Muller in the 1950s. 
who had an experimental small holding on the lizard. He believed, like the antiquarian Rendell Harris in the 1930s, that the lizard had been colonised by the ancient Egyptians. Now, John Muller also felt that previous to the Egyptians, the last remnants of Atlantis had also landed, leaving their mysteries encoded in the landscape. Now, John Muller was experimenting with a form of horticulture, which used no chemicals or, or manure, but relied on communicating with the plant spirits. In Scotland, the Findhorn Foundation had been experimenting with similar techniques with quite spectacular results. Now, in the 1990s, I heard of a similar project on the east of the Cornwall at Porthallo. Sheila Jeffries and her partner were stirring up a similar cauldron of plant divas, Atlanteans and earth energies on their fruit farm where they were creating organic plant spirit infused wines. They also began developing ideas of this great land zodiac visible from the sky inscribed on the landscape of the lizard. On this great mandala, energies buzzed and mysteries were hidden. The idea of a landscape zodiac was first mooted in 1925 by Catherine Mortwood when she identified the Glastonbury zodiac. After this, a flurry of other land zodiacs emerged, including, bizarrely, the Kingston zodiac in, in South London. I recall on a hot summer's afternoon, sitting on a hilltop, overlooking the lizard, pondering the mysteries of this great landscape zodiac with a mathematician friend, Dr Matthew Watkins. Was this a random construct, like some great raw stack ink block test, or was it, as the Earth Mysteries researcher Paul Broadhurst, who at the time was researching a North Cornwall land zodiac, a deliberate and self-conscious creation of a past age? Or could it be a conjuration of something that has become real through our imagination? As the conundrum seemed to defy any logic, we decided to await a sign from beyond. That very evening, on the local news, it was reported that the Jeffreys were intercepted by the trading standards people on their way out of Boots the Chemist, with a trolley full of Boots wine kits, ready to be transformed into the organic wine from the Devic Elemental Kingdoms. To paraphrase Doc Shields, round the rugged rock the ragged rascal does indeed run. Once again, I believe I heard the bucker laugh. Woo! <laughs> 
the scaly lizard isn't sea broken it's broken by man for this is serpentine rock rock of a thousand hues and tones that's wrested from the savage coastline and transformed and sold to people all over the world who are too well acquainted with the concrete of cities 
In the mid-1990s, Charles Straffen published her Earth Mysteries Guide to the Lizard, which was predominantly a gazetteer of the megalithic sites, crosses and holy wells on the lizard. These were, however, not just seen as being of archaeological interest. They were focal points of the numinous presence of the landscape. In the introduction, she writes, The lizard is a secret land. Unlike the concentration of sites in particular areas of the rest of Cornwall, the lizard has few obvious centres of antiquity, but there is a scattering of individual places of sanctity, a standing stone here, a fugu there, one well here, one cross there hidden, private and secluded. The lizard does not reveal her secrets easily. In the year 2000, Paul Broadhurst and Hamish Miller published their monumental work tracking the great Apollo and Athena twin ley lines from Ireland down to the Holy Land. From Mounts Bay, the two lines joined in a great node of power at Gunwallow Church. They split again, the Apollo line skimming the coast coming ashore at Predanic and leaving the lizard at Bass Point. Athena crosses Goonhilly Downs and leaves the lizard at the Gader to weave her way with Apollo across the seas to Europe. Through all these narratives, the crashing of the waves on the shores of Leoness are never far away, whispering tales of magic and transformation. From ancient times, Cornwall has been divided into areas of land known as the Hundreds, for each area is supposed to be able to provide a surplus to support 100 soldiers. Each of the Ten Hundreds was defined by topographical boundaries, each having its own distinct character and spirit. The Lizard was in the Hundred of Carrier. Leoness, to me, is the Eleventh Hundred the hundred of the imagination which permeates the land and could be glimpsed in those liminal places where the mindscape and the landscape meet. Here on the lizard, often its presence feels unusually strong. Some years ago I conducted a mind experiment in which I decided to walk around the edge of the lizard, which is about 30 miles takes about three days. I went there in search of remnants of Leoness. During my journey, I identified three potential power centres, Caraclas, Lizard Point and Gunwallow Church. On a map, I superimposed a Fibonacci spiral. The Fibonacci spiral being a geometric model of the mathematical principle of pi, the fundamental creative form in nature. Now, the epicentre of this spiral, which touched each of these three points, fell upon Trebeau Cross in the heart of Goonhilly Downs. At twilight, on the eve of the autumn equinox, I walked across Goonhilly to the old Dry Tree Menhir, the meeting place of five parishes the Umphalos of the Lizard. It was a time and place that seemed to 
hover in the half-light between the worlds. It's twilight, it's just before the equinox, the autumn equinox, 2020, and we're walking along an old trackway towards Goonhilly Earth Station. It should be a new moon tonight, but you can't see the sky, it's quite, it's quite overcast. Around us there's stunted willows, gorse and heather. Very typical of this, this lizard landscape. And the great cyclopean satellite discs. They look quite surreal here on the skyline. There's one here. We're just walking towards it. Enormous thing, great feat of engineering. Now I'm, we're on Goonhilly Downs, which is between these great satellite dishes and uh, Trebeau Cross. This is a place I've always felt to be the sacred centre of the lizard. Now Goonhilly Downs is a curiously flat peat landscape and its name aptly means the, the heath of brackish waters. And you wonder if the peat that surrounds us is the remains of the prehistoric forest that survived in folk memory in the form of St. Rumen's Forest of Nemia. Now to the to the west of here, as you go across to towards Mullion, you can still see some of the old peat stacks, remains of an old industry that must once have been here. Trebeau Cross is it's for curious um, derivation. Um, tray and boat both mean house, and it's unlikely to mean house house. But the boat component could also be derived from bow, meaning he goat. And another form of this is Baka, the old storm god. He appears once again in the lizard's heart, in a place that's called the heart, the house of the Baka. Now Goonhilly Down was once notorious as a haunt of ghosts and highwaymen. And behind Trebeau Cross is a great shallow pool where it was said that on moonlit nights a phantom ship was uh, said to sail. And this place is also said to be the haunt of night jars. Now, where night jars fly, the other world is never far away. And in the 1930s, they appear often in, the, in alarming forms in the work of surrealist Max Ernst. And in more recent times, Doc Shields noted that they often appear where there's going to be a monster manifestation. Now, the old Goonhilly Earth station was abandoned some years ago. But it's great 
satellite dishes and grey buildings and perimeter fence sort of remain here and there. They're still very much part of the landscape. And for those of us with a hauntological disposition, the, the spectre of Doctor Who and Quatermass always hang around old disused scientific installations like this. Maybe a paradoxically a place such as this which is a bastion of a an ideology that has no place for ghosts rather than just banishing we just forces them even in, into more twisted and, and alienated forms it's a compelling thought though this was this was the place that we first looked at ourselves from space like two great mirrors set against each other this is in a way the, the, the places like this they were the genesis point of a, of a great stream of consciousness <laughs> we've been right pisky laden we've uh, gone on a great loop the twilight's coming in and we've uh, somehow looped round and gone onto the moors, onto the edge of the moors and back again. And we're just sort of uh, approaching the dry tree stone from, uh, from the opposite direction, going past the two great circular mounds that have been marked by, it looks like, trig points. On the top, it's, it's hard to see in the darkness. Oh, and here it is in front of us. It's uh, really quite big for a Cornish standing stone. This thing it stands about 11 feet. It's a huge, great slab of gabbro, and they reckon it was bought from uh, Crowser Common, which is about two miles away. Apparently it was a uh, line recumbent for some years and in the 1920s, I think 1927, it was, uh, was re-erected, presumably in its, uh, in its original position. Extending around this micro-sacred landscape, there's three round burrows which were maybe sort of constructed sometime after the stone was put up. It's, it's just a very magical place. There's a curious resonance and uh, an even more curious sort of continuity between uh, this stone and uh, the Goon Hilly installation. They're both about the tripartite relationship between the heavens and the land and, and ourselves. Sort of embodied upon this point and it's, a, it's quite apt in a way that this is a place where art, magic and the, the landscape meet together. Darkness is pretty much fallen now. We're by the old dry tree stone and we can see the perimeter fence of the of the earth station and we can hear the road but there's a really distinctive otherworldly feel at this end 
the old stories of the standing stones they talk about them moving at night maybe they're talking about them not physically moving but conceptually moving the way we see them changes according to the way we approach them and our own inner mindscape they start to morph and change grow in size and acquire a kind of dark chthonic life that isn't there in the broad daylight but the old stones like the whole of the lizard itself they keep their mysteries close to their chest The golden age of the lizard mysteries may have passed, but there are still some strange goings on to be had down the lizard. In May 2019, a cross-disciplinary site-specific art project called the Goonily Village Green Project was launched. As part of this project, this exploration of the lizard mysteries started off life. Also, the fearless conceptual artist and fellow co-conspirator on previous Surreal projects, Beth Richards, launched the Welcome Scent Forever project. She commandeered a, a local choir into a series of immersive workshops to create a sound piece, drawing on the Helston flora music and the spirit of the lizard to be performed around a cosmic welcome landing mat on Goon Hilly Downs. The purpose of this conjuration? To create an interplanetary interface zone at Goon Hilly, to welcome everyone across earthly and astral borders. Now let us finish this exploration of the Lizard Mysteries with the fruit of her labours.
This was a Quarry Studio production, made in a secret location in a quarry somewhere in West Cornwall. Words, music, sounds and production, Steve Patterson. Engineering, editing, production and additional voice, Dave Wisdom. Additional voice, website design and brainwaves, Lisa Wisdom. If you want to support us, you can do so on patreon.com slash antiquarian adventures in meta reality. For further information, look us up on stevepattersonantiquarian.com. We look forward to joining you for further antiquarian adventures in meta reality.